Hello and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Senek, joined as always by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, Hillary Clinton and the FBI. So Richard, since last you and I have talked on this broadcast, we had first uh, – the day before we're taping this, Jim Comey, the director of the FBI coming out and saying that uh, the bureau was recommending against uh, prosecution of Hillary Clinton over her email scandal. Today we've heard from the attorney general, Loretta Lynch, that she in fact – will not be uh, pursuing that case. And let me start here with you, Richard. For a lot of people who listened to Director Comey's statement, it ran about 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And what you've heard from a lot of analysts is that the first 10 minutes seem to bear no relation whatsoever to the last five because Director Comey lays out in some senses a, a pretty sweeping indictment of the way that Secretary Clinton behaved and then comes to the conclusion that no charges are necessary. So how do you score the legal analysis that Jim Comey presented at his press conference? Well, he was right in the first half and wrong in the second half. <laughs> and I think really what was going on there is that at this particular point, he says, uh, to press criminal charges is to upend a presidential rate at an extremely late date. And I don't think he wanted to do that. And I don't know whether he's riving above principle or whether he's falling below principle, but I think that was the heavy motive because everything he said when you actually looked at it, um, if it was correct, and some of it was, um, points to an indictment and where he made mistakes, that also points to an indictment. And there are many mysteries here. Let me just sort of just start this off, just mention a couple of them. One is there is a statute which talks about the gross negligence and the maintenance of a kind of a server-type situation, uh, which is in fact actionable. And he says, well, there wasn't gross negligence here. There was only extreme carelessness. Uh, the definition of gross negligence is extreme carelessness. I'm, and so what you're doing is you're saying, well, since you use these words instead of those words, the prosecution is not going to take place. And, you know, that is simply kind of a, a hair-splitting situation that nobody should ever tolerate. The second question is, what's the mens rea? That is, what's the guilty mind that you need when it comes to the question of whether or not you knowingly maintain um, information on a server which you, is not, you know is not fit for uh, receiving the information in question because it's not hardwired, it's not run by the State Department, it's not protected? And what um, Comey said was just wrong. He said that, well, she did not know that she was breaking the law. Uh, but it doesn't take any great Roman law scholar to remember that it's still an English maxim, which says, ignorantia juris non excuseat, or in plain language, the ignorance of the law did not excuse. Mens rea only requires that you do all the mental, have the mental state to do all the things that are illegal under the statute. It doesn't require that you believe that they're wrong or know that they're wrong or know that there's some kind of a prohibition there. And the reason and we never allow that to come in there is it would be an absolute travesty to run a criminal system where somebody murdered somebody else and said, well, I knew it was immoral to murder other people, but I wasn't sure that it was a crime and I haven't consulted the books. And in this particular case, the defense is even weaker because everybody knows and well understood that everybody in the State Department from top to bottom is constantly told about the necessity to make sure that you only do your emails on some kind of a secured system. 
And indeed, when this point was mentioned to her by somebody in the inspector's office, um, either she or one of her assistants says, bug off and don't you ever mention this again, which establishes all the mens rea that you want to do. And so one of the problems with the Comey statement is that there are lots of juicy tidbits out there which incline very heavily against her, and he never mentioned any of them. So, Richard, you mentioned Director Comey not wanting to insert himself in the middle of a presidential election. The analogy that some people are drawing is to John Roberts and keeping the Supreme Court out of the Obamacare fight, the sense that he might have taken a dive on that opinion. Um, I wonder, is that in your mind a, a legitimate factor for Comey to avoid here? Because obviously there was going to be a political fallout either way, regardless of what was decided here. Well, first of all, I think the comparison is somewhat grotesque. Uh, my view about most justices is they write what they believe, and certainly there are political consequences of which they're aware. Uh, but I think if you read the Justice Roberts' opinion, um, he basically came away with the view, hey, you know, I think there's a commerce cause problem here, but I don't think there's a taxing power problem there. Um, he's actually right on the taxing power if you go back to the traditional analysis. Wrong, I think, if you get it, understand it slightly more sophisticated, but I just don't think of that in this way. This is obviously a hugely political situation. You have somebody who's running for president of the United States. You have a lot of powerful information out there, people who are actually calling for her blood. And then just to make it worse, uh, Bill Clinton, who's something of a bonehead, and then manages to meet with the attorney general, Loretta Lynch. Why she tolerated a meeting is simply beyond me. Uh, how it was that he knew that she was available for a meeting is beyond me. I mean, it seems to me that probing into this entire connection and how it got established is the sort of thing that somebody would really want to do and you could come up with some kind of dirt. And so, you know, already it seems to me that this one is tainted, not in terms of intellectual differences. This is tainted in terms of improper patterns or apparent patterns of influence. Uh, does this implicate Hillary Clinton? I don't think so. I don't see any reason why she has to gain out of all of this. I think it's wild Bill Clinton going off on his own. He's obviously lost the edge as a political hack or as a political expert, I should say, um, and he starts to make blunders. So all in all, I think that the problem that Comey has is this is going to really hurt his reputation. There are many people who believe he should not have made the compromise, and there are other people who believe that he should have made it, but he has to fall on the sword when he does. You mentioned this sort of now infamous conversation between Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton that happened on the tarmac in Phoenix. That combined with the fact that there's been some talk in the press to the effect that Hillary Clinton may even conceivably keep Loretta Lynch on as attorney general if she were to become president led a lot of people to say, you know what, all along, because of the political dimensions of this case, this should have been handled by a special prosecutor. How do you respond to that line of argument? Well, I'm beginning to think that it's true. I remember special prosecutors are capable of an enormous amount of abuse and one of um, – whatchamacallit, Justice Scalia's great opinion, Morrison against Olson, showed the difficulties that you had on the other arrangement. The way in which it was traditionally done, which could have been done here, is you set up an independent office inside the Attorney General's office, and what that person does is to basically, with very weak oversight, run the investigation more or less as he or she starts to fee fit, and they could have done that. I think the other danger is that this was a slow walk. Um, virtually anything that one talked about as being salient to this case was 
well known at least 18 months ago and perhaps even longer than that. What was so shocking about Mr. Comey's statement is it looked as though it could have been written in 15 minutes by a guy who had no knowledge of what the record said, simply saying we've managed to overturn every stone and we haven't found anything. But there's so many gaps in the story that it's really troublesome. I mean, for example, I'm told that Mrs. Clinton did not have an independent server. So it could have been that thousands upon thousands of documents were transmitted over this um, home-built machine and that they were all destroyed and eradicated. In order to prove serious misconduct, you don't have to identify what those things are. You just have to identify that they took place. And there's no discussion about that. I don't even know whether or not there was anybody in the Justice Department or the FBI that wrote a legal memo about all the statutes that were involved. Um, what the um, what Comey said was just kind of slapdash right off the top of his head, carefully cultivated to be sure, and obviously condemnatory, but it's not as though he linked it back to the statute or linked it back correctly. And when he said there's no available precedent for this, well, you can't say that there's a common usage when it turns out nobody's been prosecuted under a statute which is infrequently used. This would not be within a thousand miles of custom and tradition in the way in which you deal with statutes. You, could you imagine Preet Bahara, the very aggressive um, uh, attorney for the Southern District of New York? Um, he always goes after people and stretches the law beyond all recognition. Now we get this peculiar kind of waiver, which was not shown to anybody, including David Petraeus and lots of other people like Scooter Libby, who got themselves on the wrong side of these kinds of cases. So it all has just a terrible odor associated with it. I think it will hurt Mrs. Clinton. I don't even think she's the main um, problem, but I think it's absolutely inexcusable that you do this because this is the way in which you could read it. If she doesn't prosecute me, I'll reward her uh, by giving her position. It almost sounds like a quid pro quo bribe. I mean, it's really grotesque if she said it, and I gather from the New York Times uh, that she did. She didn't say it firmly, but she said, well, I may well think about all this. And, you know, in a world in which it turns out you're looking for corruption, you don't try to find clarity in language. You construe ambiguities against the speaker. You mentioned David Petraeus there a moment ago. He is in recent years probably the closest analog in terms of a senior government official who ran into trouble with the law over how he handled classified information. Compare and contrast for us for a moment how the Petraeus case played out versus the Clinton one. Well, Petraeus was a fool. I mean, one of the ablest generals in the history of the United States. What he did is he took confidential documents, knew that they were not to be transferred, and transferred them while having his biography written uh, to the hard disk of his woman who was his lover as well as his author. I mean, you just don't do that. He got a pretty strong slap on the wrist for the intentional release. But if you're trying to figure out what the fallout is, nobody hacked anything about those relationships. And it wasn't top secret current information of the sort that Mrs. Clinton had. Her crime was reckless endangerment of the public at large, using a jerry-built apparatus that she knew was porous and then piling all sorts of information through it and then obstructing justice as far as I'm concerned uh, by uh, basically instructing her lawyers to call documents based on the heading without looking at the content. I mean, I send emails and if you're in a chain with people, you change the content of the body without changing the head. People just don't do it. They never read them. She authorized them to do it. I can't believe that she could say that she authorized them only to do it in accordance with the law. Um, this is obstruction of justice as far as I can see. Um, and, you know, there's real endangerment in this case. So his conduct was a small bore offense for which he got slapped. Hers is a much more major kind of abuse. 
So, Richard, walk me through the alternative reality here. What would have happened if the FBI had come down the other direction on this and the Justice Department had come down the other direction and we were looking at a prosecution for Hillary Clinton? Well, it would be complete pandemonium and chaos. I think she would have to withdraw from the campaign um, because you cannot be under indictment at the same time that you're running for president. Um, and you have to have all sorts of confidential information, all sorts of clearances. And could you imagine trying to run a campaign and a defense in one of these cases at the same time? This is not like a civil suit against Bill Clinton, which they allowed to go forward, which I think they should have postponed because it's pretty easy. So I think she'd have to pull out. Well, then what happens? Do you go to Bernie's? Sanders, you to go to the vice presidential designate. I have no idea what would happen. And I think that this is a very strong reason not to, as it were, want to prosecute. But I don't think it's an excuse for anybody in the Justice Department. I think the correct thing, since you knew that this was a serious issue, was several years ago, 18 months, two years ago, to basically make your decision then so that the process could run coherently through the political system and that they declined to do. So I just think that the whole thing is so utterly discouraging about the sort of general public morals inside the United States. And this is all on the Democratic side. And, you know, one could basically loathe Donald Trump, as I typically do, and still think that he's right to say that in this case particularly, uh, the system was indeed rigged. That gets us to the last question that I was going to ask you, because one of the things that we have seen throughout this year and last year is that one of the pervasive themes of this election cycle seems to be sort of a widespread cynicism about how politics is done in America. And there were a lot of people that were disappointed by this decision, but there were also a lot of people who felt like it was baked in the cake. Are the, are the American people right to be at this point cynical uh, about the way that the justice system works for people in positions of power like Hillary Clinton? I think they have to be. I am. There was a sentence there in which Comey made it very clear uh, that this ticket was for one bus ride only and that it was not a precedent for dealing with any future cases. He virtually said that in so many words. Well, what is that to the eyes of the ordinary person other than a special exemption for somebody in a high position of power? Um, he doesn't want to touch her. And, you know, I feel the same kind of populist influence on that. The tragedy about American populism is it extends to ordinary market kinds of behaviors and uh, you get very powerful things dealing with um, income inequality and so forth, which raise completely different kinds of issues. And I fear that the one will slop over into the other. Uh, so in the end, this issue will simply, it will dogger all the way through. Um, I think it will surely help Donald Trump some, but his capability of blowing in advantage is, I think, unparalleled. My guess is that third-party candidates as a protest vote will start to look more attractive, whether you're talking about the Green Party or whether or not you're talking about the um, Libertarian Party. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. And remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting Defining Ideas at Hoover.org, and you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Senek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit Hoover.org.